In Chapter 8 of the Screenwriter Survival Guide, I had an excellent conversation with my good friend and colleague, Axel Arzola, and we talked about all things development. In this week's episode, you'll learn what the hell you actually do when developing a project, what companies are looking for when taking on new projects for development, and why finding the right partners is just as important as what's on the page. Let's face it, Hollywood is a lot, but for many of us, it's the only life we can imagine. I'm Sam Brooks, and my goal with this podcast is to take not-yet-screenwriters from their first homesick night in Los Angeles all the way to the red carpet. Welcome to Screenwriter Survival Guide. Today on Screenwriter Survival Guide, I'm sitting down with a very talented director, writer, producer, location scout, one might even say uh, development executive. Uh, He is my good friend, Axel Arzola. Axel, thank you so much for coming on Screenwriter Survival Guide. Thank you, Sam, for having me. I'm I'm super excited about this. I think you should be doing a podcast. So I'm really excited that you're creating all of this content for all the writers out there. Thanks, man. I mean, yeah, you were like seriously one of the, you were kind of like a bunch of people that told me to start a podcast, and I've been considering it and and thinking about it as like a, a networking tool and stuff. But you, I think, were the one that kind of put me over the edge. We were taught we were working on our project uh, mm-hmm. together, actually, and you were just you kept coming back to it. You got to start a podcast, got to start a podcast. And I was like, Oh, and I knew there was something inside that was making me not want to start one. And then I kind of realized, Oh, I think what it is, is I'm just embarrassed to say, Oh, I have a podcast. Um, every, you know, that kind of like, Oh, everyone has a podcast. And then I was like, Oh, that's a terrible reason not to do it. Um, so yeah, I think you were, you were the one, you were the one man. <laughs> yeah. That's really exciting, man. And uh, I'm really excited because I can see the future and the career that you're building. And you take your writing so seriously, like very few people do. And that's why the way I see you is like you're going to be one of the best writers of our generation. And it will be a shame for you not to have a podcast where you can talk about screenwriting and the film and entertainment business in general. Oh, wow. And that means a lot, man. That's That's great. I think you are... Obviously, I wanted you were one of the first people I wanted to have on because I just thought uh, you are like you said about me. Uh, I definitely think about you. Uh, you are one of the most dedicated, um, hardworking people um, I've ever met. I specifically kept your intro pretty vague because I want you to go through your story because it is absolutely one of the craziest um, origin stories of anyone who I've ever met in Hollywood. Um, like lots of people have kind of weird interesting ways into the industry but you are on another level my friend you were like you kind of got um you got bingo for all of the uh all of the wild ways to come into the industry so i think that's a great place to start here um i i haven't actually mentioned the topic of today's um episode is going to be development and developing projects uh you have a a really great production company that we're actually developing some some things together Mm -hmm. But I wanted to start kind of in your story. Um, how did you, can you just tell us, walk us through your your insane path into this industry? 
for sure. And I'll give you the short version because I really want to get into the, the topic and I know people listening All want right. to learn about development. Uh, my name is Axel and I'm a Cuban filmmaker. I was born and raised in Havana and I came to America in 2012. And the way I was able to come to America was because I went to a film festival in Canada and I pretty much ran out of the festival very early in the morning when everyone was asleep. I just started walking and found a bus station and made my way all the way to the U.S. border and got into a little bit of trouble trying to come in. And when we told the, you know, the border control people that, yeah, we're Cubans, we want to come in. And they were like, what are you talking about? We have never seen a Cuban before. Like, <laughs> you have to go back to Canada. And we're like, no, 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 we can't go back to Canada. And then uh, we were right there on the car. And I'm trying to get out of the car. And the officer is like, he grabs his gun. He's like, stay in the car. And I was super afraid that something was going to happen. They take us inside and they start drilling us with questions. What are you doing here? When did you come to Canada? Why did you come to Canada? And long story short, they're like, okay, welcome to America. We had never had Cubans this part of the Canadian border before. But I was able to come in as a refugee. And then, uh, thank God, I got a scholarship to go to uh, film school at Lee University in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And after that, I moved to Atlanta, started working as a PA, as a location uh, assistant, then as a location scout. And I was able to work on uh, a film for Damien Chassel and just as an assistant for a few days. And then I was able to work on a movie with Melissa McCarthy as an assistant. I was able mm -hmm. to work in the production office and the locations department. Then I became a location scout and I worked on a show for Apple TV called Amazing Stories. Mm -hmm. And even after going through film school, working in those projects was what really gave me like an insight into how movies and TV shows are actually made. And then I made my way all the way here to LA and I love California. I love living here. And I've been able to work on several TV shows and films since I've been here. And I've been lucky to meet people just like you who are young and hungry and want to make good content and want to make good stories. And that's where we are today. That's great, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, super insane, just an insane, crazy story. Those are some details I didn't even know uh, today. Um, yeah, I think probably Canadian border or Canadian uh, American border guards on the Canadian border probably don't see a lot of Cubans. I think most mm -hmm. most people come from the other direction. Um, that's very funny. Um, so yeah, let's dive right into development. Um, kind of my first mm -hmm. development related question was like when I first moved out here, I had a very like backseat approach to um, how I was going to deal with this industry. I was kind of thinking I'd write scripts, wait for someone to read them. Eventually someone would shepherd me to the front of the line, which is a terrible approach. Um, mm -hmm. And it took me years of being around some of the most ridiculously dedicated people I've ever met. Um, people that you and I have both been around a lot of um, mm -hmm. uh, to change that mindset. Um, you, on the other hand, you started Red Axe, I believe, before you even started college. So probably right after you came to the United States. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk us through that choice? What made you decide you're going to start developing your own content um, immediately rather than wait for someone to let you direct a movie? Well, in my case, I started making short films when I was in Cuba. There, we are not even allowed to have production companies. So wow. you just do your own thing however you can. And you can never get to the scale of like Hollywood and the movies that are made here. All of right. the movies 
feature films that are made in Cuba have to be under the umbrella of the Film Institute, which is also under the umbrella of the Communist Party and the government. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of regulation as far as like what you can do and what access to resources you can have and even just like film permits. So I remember I was like 15, I went out to shoot some interviews and then I got chased down by the cops because they didn't know what I was doing and I wasn't allowed to be out there with a camera. And we were just doing interviews about like music and that type of stuff. And we got in trouble that way. Then I started working with the Film Institute and I, I started meeting a lot of other young creatives and they were just figuring out their own ways of doing their own things. So mm -hmm. I come from that school of I learned by doing and I was lucky enough that I was able to go to the to the film school here. But when I went to school, I had already directed several music videos and I ha had already done documentaries and short films. So I was in school learning how to do the things that I was already doing. So mm -hmm. I never waited for like an assignment or for something or someone to right. happen in my life before I decided to do something. So I remember the first feature film that I produced was a documentary that I, I worked on with another director. Uh, and we made that when in my sophomore year in college. Mm -hmm. So after that, when I moved to Atlanta and I started working in the film industry, I, you still see many, many people who are working in the industry and they still don't know how to get their thing across. And right. I remember I was a PA on this TV show called Miracle Workers that had Daniel Radcliffe and some other big actors. And I was in the kitchen one day making coffee for the office and this guy's there making like a sandwich. And we started talking and this and that. And he was one of the episode directors. And mm -hmm. when I asked him, you know, I want to have your job. Like, I want to do what you're doing. Right. What do I do? And he went on to tell me that basically it took him... 15 to 20 years to get to this point right now where, where right. he's directing. So he started doing some like promo videos for HBO back in the day and developed that relationship. And like he kept doing mm -hmm. his own thing. And then some actor friends wanted to shoot some, some like skits and like funny things. And he would shoot that with them. And slowly it's almost like by doing your own thing is the only way that you will right. get attention from a studio. So right. if you're just waiting for someone to approach you and for something to happen, it doesn't matter how good of a writer you are, if the right people are not reading what you're writing. And I would even go as far as to say, if no one is risking their money, time and energy to shoot the things that you are writing, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how good you are. Like it, it won't right. get ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's like, that was a realization. I remember where I was when I came to that realization, I was just very pissed off, like on a walk, like feeling that I was never going to make it, never going to succeed. And I just kind of realized like, well, writing, you can write as much as you want and like stick it. And like, it's very important to write and like write a bunch of mm -hmm. terrible and you never seize the light of day. But I think there, there is a, there's a time when you have to be like, no, I'm just going to make shit because like you're saying, like you're saying, like nobody is ever gonna just hand you money. Like there's this thing that I've been told multiple times by like writers higher, like higher up above me on the food chain, mm -hmm. who who say like, yeah, you don't like if you're looking for an agent, for instance, that's kind of the the litmus test most people look at when they want, you know, mo most writers look at when they're like, oh, now I'm an actual writer if I have, you know, 
uh, if I have an agent and you know, I hate when people say that, but um, yeah. still, I think uh, like you really don't get your agent um, until you get your first job. And so I, th- I think it's just, it applies to everyone. If you're not like, I get it. It's scary and it's way easier in some ways to sit in your room and write um, than it is to go out and like get crews together and like put yourself out there and actually start making shit even without backing, even without any money, even without any prospects that you're making more than like something for TikTok or Instagram. I think, mm-hmm. uh, but if you're not, um, it's just, you, you can't really unless you're like a one in a million type situation, it's really difficult to actually um, get anywhere uh, with that as kind of your career goal, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I would also caveat this by saying, depending on the type of writing that you do, I understand that there's some things, like for example, the project that you and I are working on, Mm -hmm. there's no way we can go out and shoot that. And that's what I wish we could do, but we can't because (laughs) the world that you have created and the characters and the situations that show would require 50 to $70 million to do one season. So Mm -hmm. that is one project that I I understand that. And I'm I'm looking at that project and saying, okay, for the next five years, I'm going to keep pushing that project because Mm -hmm. if it happens, it will completely change my career and Sam's Sam's career. And at the same time, I need to find little projects that I can mm-hmm. figure out a way to go and shoot for less money. So yeah. I, I just wanted to say that because I'm not in the camp of do it yourself forever and right. go indie and only make indie movies. I'm not interested in only making that type of movie. Right, right. I want to make them. I want to encourage people who want to make them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But if you really want to grow in your career in Hollywood, and mm-hmm. I think that's the point of anyone listening to this podcast, you need to understand both sides. You need to figure out yeah. how do you get things made to get attention and also work on those big, ambitious projects that would require HBO to drop 50 mil on your project to get made because you create one to be able to do the other. It's like this cycle or circle right. where you are creating content that you can produce yourself with your friends so you get the attention. So when the studio comes over, you have big projects that you can sell them. And then once you have those big projects that you can sell them, you're going to have the money to then go back to those little passion projects that you want to do with your friends and be able to afford the time and money right. to make those, which is, right. I think it's a beautiful uh, thing when yeah. it happens. It's the one for them, one for you, but kind of, uh, it's like one for you so you can make one for them so you can make one for you. It's like a very mm-hmm. like, um it is it's like this very kind of uh people can look at it as like a bad thing i think a lot of people kind of default to it being a bad thing that you can't just like get money to make whatever you want but i think it's great you know you you get and i do think this is one thing you you do really well is you've got this this massive breadth in your um content slate and you have like you said all the way from like a hundred thousand dollars all the way up to like millions of dollars per episode and i think it's just it's this really um brilliant approach because I think um, you're going to get that, that hundred thousand dollar movie um, financed before you're going to get the, the $3 million an episode uh, mm-hmm. series financed. And, but if you don't have anything, if you, if you just have the hundred million, hundred thousand dollar movie and nothing else after that, um, then all that momentum is for nothing. Whereas if you have the two to $3 million uh, series after that, it may not get made even then because that's a big ask. That's like, you know, Game of Thrones money. But like, 
still you have that you have it in your back pocket and you can sh show it to people and pitch it to, to studios and um uh that shows that you're serious about this as well mm -hmm. um and people yeah. may think of you if they if you have a serious show that you're like yes i want to make i want three million dollars an episode to make this show um that kind of puts you i think in a, in another level where mm -hmm. I've, I've definitely had that experience even like in my current like uh, day job where if I say, oh yes, I'm pitching a show that's going to become a multi-million dollar show, that automatically kind of propels people into thinking of me as more like advanced than other people um, who might just come and say, oh yeah, I'm working on a short film, et cetera, et cetera. And like I am working on short content, but I think it, it, having that breadth is super important. Yeah, you're totally right. Because also the people that can help you make those different projects are different people. So mm -hmm. for example, you and your on your day job right now, if you bump into a producer or an executive at the company that you're working for, if you pitch them on a $50,000 feature, they can't really do anything with that because it doesn't right. align with their company's uh, interests. Right. And you need to have a big project for them to pay attention to it because mm -hmm. it's, at the end of the day, it's all a business. We're creating content, we're selling it to a company that is paying for it mm -hmm. so they can show it to people. And the same goes the other way. If you are meeting a friend and all of a sudden it's a guy that, a director or someone who's interested in directing like a, a small movie, like you and I had a conversation this weekend about another project that we want to make, mm -hmm. which is a completely different approach from the other one. And we need to we need that one to be a, a small budget right. uh, feature. Then you have that ready. So if you can find a way to have those two things at hand, I think that can only increase the chances of anything of yours to be produced. Yeah, I think that that's so true. It's so smart. I think lots of people. There's I've definitely had advice before from from writers that. Um, let's say pick one thing to be good at and do that thing a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so like if you're good at like half hour comedies, just write half hour comedies. Um, mm -hmm. Or if you're like even more, you know, bring it wide, uh, larger scale. Like if you're a TV writer, only be a TV writer. And I got to say, the more I learn about this industry, I think that's so wrong. Like I think that is just a way to, it just pigeonholes you. You have, you put all your eggs in one basket. And if that one basket doesn't go, well, uh, okay, that's it. Thanks for playing. Um, yeah. I think maybe once you start creating your brand a little bit later on, then you can try to pick and try to stay in one lane because it does help. Mm -hmm. But you, you can see cases for both sides. I, I do think yeah. starting out, write what you're passionate about. If you're passionate about more than one genre and format, then go for it. Uh, don't, mm -hmm. don't limit yourself. You do need to stay focused, and I guess what you're focusing on is you are a writer, uh, because I also bump into people who want to write, direct, produce, act. They also do editing and they do sound design, right. and they make music. That's a little bit diluted, and then people won't think of you as the writer mm -hmm. from like from the top of their head. Uh, mm -hmm. But if you can have different projects with different angles, I think that can only help. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so we've been pretty theoretical, big picture so far. But since this is, after all, like an episode about developing projects, um, let's get into the really nitty gritty of development. Um, mm -hmm. 
can you just explain for the for the listeners and um, we can do it together on um, like what exactly development is what are the actual steps you're taking when you're in development with a project okay so in development let, let's think about it a little bit more big picture before we get to the sure. specifics because yeah, this will make sense so in this case I'm an independent producer, which means that I'm not working under a studio, although I do work for, for a smaller uh, up-and-coming studio. A lot of my projects are my own independent projects. Mm -hmm. So I have to think about, okay, what do I want my brand to be known for? And I love sci-fi. I love drama. I love action. I, I love comedy, but everything that I have made so far has been more on the drama side of things. Mm -hmm. So those are the type of projects that I uh, gravitate towards. So I'm trying to build what is called a slate. So for people who don't know, a slate is like a group of five to 10 projects that you have on your slate and you're trying to develop those uh, projects. So I have your project with, with you, I might have like with a different writer, I might have two or three different projects that I'm trying to develop. Mm -hmm. And then I could have relationships with, with several writers and try to connect all of those projects and make sure that they have some kind of theme that unites them. And why is that? Because if I get to sit down with another big, pro a bigger production company or someone who works in development at a studio, I get to show them like a menu. Okay, I have five different projects that might appeal to your studio. Mm -hmm. And that's what you think about from my point of view as a producer, that's the way I see it. So with you, I have a very specific project that has unique characteristics. So then once we go into each project, the way I think about it is, and this comes from like business and some other people in business that I admire, the way I think about things is the following, people, product, and process. Mm -hmm. So in this case, you, Sam, are, when I think about writers, you are one of my favorite writers to work with. So I have the person. And then what's the product? You have created a very unique, amazing uh, script. So how do I create that product the best way that we can so we can sell it? And then the process comes to you work with the writer, you develop the script, and then there are a few marketing materials you could say that you create in development so you can increase the chances of that project be badass whenever you sit down in a meeting and that process would uh entail having the pilot for the for the show having a show bible mm -hmm. that contains a lot of information everything from like the backstory of how we got to this point in the story if you are creating a, a unique world a lot of information about that world, then all the characters, and also where do we see those characters uh, moving forward. Another right. key piece is a lookbook or a pitch deck that will have like very quick, straight to the point information as mm -hmm. far as the world, the plot, the characters, and why this show is amazing. Tied up with visual elements like pictures and uh, screenshots mm -hmm. from other movies and things like that, that would help create a visual experience for whoever's watching. And it all comes down to like a PDF with 10 to 15 slides that shows yeah. you, okay, this is the world. This is what's happening. 
these are the main people in our show that we're going to care for. This mm-hmm. is kind of the story and, and how everything intertwines together. And these are the people behind this project. And that's what you uh, can have on that pitch deck. So right. that's kind of how I look at it. And then you start going out trying to find every person that you know that is somewhat connected to the development department at a studio or production department at a studio. And then you you call on those friends and those connections and try to show them the project and see if anyone is interested in buying it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's one interesting aspect of development is that it's very nebulous. What you're at, like, it's, it's all about, first of all, I think there's two things that I was definitely surprised about when we started, like, this was the first project I'd really gone into any serious sort of development on. And the first thing that I was very surprised about was, Oh, there's just a lot of more writing. Like I kind of figured when I, when we started, I was like, Oh, like for the most part until it's greenlit and we're, we've got actors like, Oh, the script is locked. No, mm-hmm. the script isn't locked. The story isn't locked. Everything changes all the time. Yeah. Um, and there's just so much more writing because the great thing about development, I think, is if you get great partners like Axel and Katrina, who are the two, um, you know, Axel here, and then Katrina is our other producer um, mm-hmm. on on this project we're working on. And if you get really great um, collaborators, uh, it is, you just, people come up with ideas that you didn't even have and you weren't even thinking in that ballpark. And mm-hmm. that just makes the script so much better. And it's great to get adv- like feedback from your friends and your coworkers and family and everything. And I, I always recommend everyone get tons of feedback before they even to send their scripts out to try and get, you know, a producer attached to develop it. But there is just something different when the other person you're working with has an equal investment in the project that they also want to see the project succeed in the same way you do. And that is just changes the entire dynamic and you get way, it's just, it becomes way better. Um, it was crazy how much better our script and our story got uh, after Axel and Katrina came on board. Um, and then, yeah, the second aspect of development that I thought was was definitely was very unexpected was um, just how nebulous it is. Like you were saying, like it is, it's all about just kind of reaching out to friends and uh, having drinks with people you haven't, you've met once or twice and, sitting in a coffee shop to compile a list of like 30 names of people you could go out to. And there, it, it isn't like a uh, kind of an quote, normal unquote job where there is a, um, a uh, set um, pattern you're supposed to go through a set uh, path you're supposed to follow. It is. So it's just like throw everything at the wall until something sticks. Um, yeah. And especially for you and me, cause we're, we're young Mm-hmm. And we're also kind of new to the city and to right. everything that's going on. Uh, I think the longer we stay in the business, the easier that will get. Because the the hardest two things about development is, number one, having like a, a good script. That's super hard. Mm-hmm. And then number two, have the right connections to right. get things made. Because it doesn't matter how you play it it always comes down to the friends that you know. And even though with the internet and social media and people getting famous off of like TikTok and Instagram and all of that, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, those people in development, they're humans. So they will trust their friend that they have known for like a couple of years and they know that they're writers. They'll trust them more than 
some other random person sending sending emails to them so every time i see those people like sending hundreds of emails with their scripts and i get those Mm -hmm. all the time it's like yeah the chance i already have so many the chances of me of sitting down and reading your script that you just sent over and i have no idea who you are are very slim because i'm i'm slammed with work so i'm only going to take the time to listen to people that i already know and trust yeah it makes sense and it's tough because if you have just started out it's really hard to like what do you do i guess i think the correct answer is you wait i think if you have no connections you don't go try to develop something immediately because if you just like patience is an interesting word um i think someone uh both of us know and respect would would dislike me using the word patience on this podcast um but i think i won't say patience but you have to look at it in the long term um, yes. And if you try to, I think, just be first come out to L.A. and whether it's getting, you know, finding a producer for your script or finding an agent for your script, um, I think it really you're not going to have as much success at all as if you're just then if you're connecting with friends, people, you know. And yes. so I think that's what's important about just giving it some time and working, not like sitting back and being complacent and giving it time, but but uh, leaning forward meeting people, trying to make connections, trying to meet new people in LA just for the sake of being friends with them. And then eventually your network will naturally sort of expand through that. And then you can go cash in and start to develop your scripts. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. And that's why so many people, when they tell me, oh, should I move to LA? And does it really matter? I'm of the opinion that it does matter so much. You and I wouldn't be having this conversation on this podcast mm-hmm. if we hadn't met at a soccer game. Uh, yep. We No, we met like at a friend's dinner and then we went and played yeah. soccer and then I read your script and then we started working on it. That mm-hmm. wouldn't have happened in a, if I was still living in Atlanta and you yeah. were still living in, on the East Coast. Yeah, All of those people who are really, really, really hungry and talented come here for a reason. Mm-hmm. And one of the main reasons is there are other hungry and talented people yep. here too, and everyone is trying to make friends. So I would definitely recommend to go out and try to make as many connections as possible. I know mm-hmm. a lot of the, I think a lot of the writers, we might think of them as introverts. Mm-hmm. And if I think about all the writers that I know, yeah, most of them are, you could say that they are introverts. So I know right. it's really hard, but just use that, that as an excuse like if you really want to get your script made, you mm-hmm. need to get out there and, and make new friends. And if every other writer is still thinking, oh, but I'm an introvert, I don't want to change that. Just use that as an advantage and trick yourself right. into thinking, I'm doing this for my writing. Even if it's hard, I'm going to get ahead faster yeah. than other writers because I'm taking the the time and I'm leaping out there and trying to make new friends. Right. And as someone who is the stereotypical introverted um, writer, I completely agree with that. It is painful for me to go to a an event, like a networking event, or to go like, you know, ask like a coworker to get drinks or something. It is mm-hmm. a it is a pain physically painful in my body <laughs> to do that. Um, but you got you just got to do it. And uh, if you don't do it, uh, I think I've been listening to a lot of our, uh, both of our, my former boss, your current boss, Tom Billu's content this week, because I've been writing some stuff for him. Um, mm-hmm. And 
uh, he said, he has this quote, and it's not his quote. It's a, he's quoting someone else. I don't remember who it is. You probably do. But, like, if you can't picture uh, where you are, it's Tony Robbins. It's Tony Robbins. Yeah. If you can't picture where you are in five years, you're already there. And I think like, I hadn't, for some reason, that quote had skipped me somehow. So I had only heard it recently. And it is so true. You need to, if you want to make it in this industry, you have to be willing to put yourself out there and do the painful, awkward things. And yeah, I mean, Axel, you didn't probably don't know this, but the first ever episode of this podcast is actually called Why You Need to Move Out to LA. Um, That's great. It is, I think, because I always I was thinking when I was kind of uh, framing, you know, uh, outlining the season, I was thinking the most important thing uh, is that some, not the most important thing, but the first important step someone can take is coming out here, just moving to LA because it is just it will it's the only city in the world where you can just be walking down the street and two people can pass you talking about camera angles. Um, yeah. It is just such a bizarre experience if you've never lived here. And if you've lived here all your life, you're like, yeah, of course. That's just what people are like, right? Yeah. No, it's so weird. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I love it, man. I love it because like yeah. every other person that you meet, they're somehow related to film and, and TV, right. which is awesome because, I mean, the, I love it. So I, I could be around filmmakers all day. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice. Yeah. Every like, that's why I say like, if, if you can't get a job as a PA, like get a job at Star because chances are like, four of the other six baristas there are also writers, you know, mm -hmm. or they're editors or something like it is just, it's, it's, it's kind of a terrible city in some ways, but it's an amazing city in, in other ways like that. Um, it's an amazing city all around Sam. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a very positive person. So I try to see the good in everything. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I should probably be more like that, but you know, The Screenwriter Survival Guide is brought to you by GetMeAnAgent.com. This is a different sort of ad. No money is exchanging hands here. Why? Because GetMeAnAgent is my company. Whoa. For less than $20 a month, GetMeAnAgent is the fast pass to hundreds of Hollywood-lit agents and their contact information. Plus 24-7 support from actual industry professionals via live chat and email free email templates to help you reach out, and so much more. Want personalized help? Send us your script and we'll match you with five agents and five managers who've worked on similar projects to yours. I'm super excited to be offering listeners of Screenwriter Survival Guide a very special deal. You'll get one free month plus half off your subscription forever when you use the discount code SURVIVE at checkout. That's S-U-R-V-I-V-E. -E. Now, I'm going to level with you. As of recording, I don't personally have representation. I say this to clarify that Get Me an Agent is by no means a panacea. As anyone who works in the industry will tell you, there are no shortcuts to the hard work of becoming an excellent writer and building your Hollywood network. What Get Me an Agent provides is a way to connect young screenwriters with their most important connection in the business, their reps. And we've already connected many of our customers with agents. So try it out risk-free today. Visit getmeanagent.com and try a free month with no commitment. And when you're ready to take the leap, use the discount code SURVIVE 
to get half off your plan forever. All right, guys. Now, back to the show. Due to the nature of Red Axe and your company, you have like a bunch of different roles there, but they're also kind of the same role. Um, so you're a producer. And as I kind of hinted at at the beginning, you're also kind of a development exec because it's your company. You're also a writer and a director. Um, and I think a lot of people look at these jobs as kind of at odds with each other. Um, and I was wondering if you could kind of speak and finding a balance between like, you need to create these things that are going to sell the studios that you can then make into movies and shows that are going to make you more money. So you can continue to run your company and then also being a director and art and wanting a creative expression uh, and kind of just how those things work together. Yes. For me, directing is the thing It's what mm-hmm. gives me the most joy and what makes me excited and why I keep torturing myself, myself trying to get these projects made. That's mm-hmm. the core of it. In my case, because of my background and in Cuba for, for us to direct, it was like an all encompassing thing. It's like, you're the director that meant for people that meant that you most likely wrote it, found the money, mm-hmm. f- put the people together in the project and then found a way to shoot it. And then you will edit and like, you would pl- have a lot of hats and that's mm-hmm. the way that I learned. I love cameras, so I'm, I could also be a cinematographer because I know as much as many people. I'm not the great, but I, I'm proficient at it. I'm a proficient editor. I've edited two feature films and I've edited hundreds of other pieces of content. But the main thing for me is directing. All of the other yeah. pieces are auxiliary to my vision of trying to direct mm-hmm. and as I grow my company and as I have learned and being able to work on big multi-million dollar studio projects, I realized that I need to find other people to do the other uh, areas. And it's just a matter of the time that you, Sam, spend thinking about writing and perfecting your writing, I'm never going to be able to catch up to you if I'm also doing the same about camera and directing and producing and editing. It's just the sheer amount of hours that you have ahead of me. Even if I'm as good or better than you, I won't be able mm-hmm. to catch up to you because you're doing right. the writing all the time. So mm-hmm. that's that's my philosophy. So I'm trying to play less roles and have less uh, different things to focus on and mm-hmm. only focus on directing. Now, I have had the experience of only direct on a project. Uh, it was a short film that I did not produce. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't feel as good. Part of it was really mm-hmm. awesome because there was a lot of logistical things that I did not have to worry about. <laughs> but, but there are other things as far as the speed that the project went and just completion and being able to finish it and what was the route that we were going to take with that film because i was not the producer i could not control that right and i don't like that like i like Mm -hmm. to control the projects that i do and there are i guess every project is specific and there are some projects that i do not need to be the producer on them and Mm -hmm. i'm okay just directing so there are different elements that will play into that as far as like money and creative control freedom the speed 
how much do you have to mm-hmm. push that project? But for the most part, I think going forward, thinking about the next five to 10 years of my career, mm-hmm. I would love to be a producer director and gotcha. focus on just directing, but also have uh, some kind of control on the production side of things, mm-hmm. because I'm also good at that. I'm all, I'm also good at putting projects together, pulling people mm-hmm. together. And I understand the whole process, like right. having done with my feature film, Literary Inc., having done everything from raising the money, putting together the what the project creatively was going to be, mm-hmm. then going production, post-production, and getting to distribution, I understand the whole process. So right. that's why, as a producer, I know what the whole thing entails. Mm-hmm. And my strategy right now is to partner up with people who are better than me, and that's why... I'm working with you and working with Katrina, our mm-hmm. uh, vice president of production, and she is amazing. She mm-hmm. doesn't want to direct. She doesn't want to write, but she's really good at storytelling and she's really good at logistics. So mm-hmm. she's the perfect person to work with you and with me. So yeah. the three of us, we can create this really nice combination of uh, skill sets that can help us get the project made faster yeah. and better and just have a more enjoyable time, you know? Yeah, Katrina's great. I want to get her on the podcast. But, you know, as she mentioned, I have to find an episode that we talk about stuff uh, about her role because I think it's what's interesting. She is kind of, she just keeps everyone on track <laughs> in mm-hmm. a very, she's just really good at that, at like making this run like a well-oiled machine. Um, yeah. So what do you think it is about um, producing and directing being married together for you that makes it so important for you to do both? Is it, do you just, uh, you kind of touched on this a little bit when you talked about your short film that you did not produce, but is it just kind of, you like to have control over elements that a director doesn't usually have control over if they're not the producer or what is it? Is it just, you want to know, everything that's going on on set like what do, what do you think it is or if you, you know i don't know if you know but that yeah. makes it work better for you so i think we have to make the distinction because there are different different levels of producers and different mm-hmm. types of producers so you have you have a line producers and like production managers who mm-hmm. handle just the logistical side of a project so mm-hmm. those are the people that control budget and timing and the scheduling and hiring people and they just they are process intensive they're like the coo of a corporation all they handle is the operations Mm -hmm. then you have other producers that have their hands part on on the logistics and then part on the creative and -hmm. those are the the producers that I admire and that I want to be related to mm-hmm. because those producers are the ones that, for example, they meet a writer, they read the script, they can tell this is a good story, this should be made. Mm-hmm. Then they go out and try to find a director to attach to that project. And they try to find with the, their connections an actor that can be attached. And they have the relationships with the agents in the studios to then try to pitch that project and get it made. So that is really attractive to me. Okay. And then being able to see that project since the inception to mm-hmm. say, okay, this is how we could make it. Then you partner up with a line producer and 
production managers and production supervisors and you have production coordinators like it, th there is a slew of people because it's such an intensive uh, logistical nightmare to make a tv show or movie <laughs> that you need a lot of those people like making sure that everything is moving right then once you start working in like principal photography you're there to help the director and in my case if i have a line producer then me as a producer i can make the high level decisions of okay we lost this location what do we do gotcha. and because i'm also the director i can think creatively how can i solve that problem mm -hmm. that is a problem from production so uh that's type of that's kind of how i would love to play it where i do mm -hmm. have my hands on the operations but not completely and gotcha. i'm focused more on the creative but then you okay. have a chance to oversee where the project is going to go long term, how marketing is going to play on that. Mm -hmm. And it's just really interesting being able to play on those two things, because I also love like business and all of that is very attractive to me. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I want to play my career where I'm able to do both. Gotcha. Yeah, I understand that. Not wanting to lose, uh, kind of lose the project. When I used to direct a long time ago, before I realized I hate it so much, um, <laughs> uh, I used to definitely feel like I didn't want to lose, um, I didn't want to kind of lose the project in the end to the producers. Um, and so I do kind of understand that, that like, if you can have kind of, if you can be one of the higher up producers, and then you can have kind of the line producers below you dealing with the day-to-day -day logistics that necessarily you don't necessarily want to deal with that mm -hmm. it's still your movie. And so you aren't going to be blindsided when someone pulls the rug out from under you, except for the studio, of course, because they're always the king, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. So this one, it might be a bit cliche, but I think it's super important because this is a, uh, yeah, screenwriters. Um, mm -hmm. And the, I think it's the number one thing young writers listening to this will be curious about when you're considering taking on a new project uh, with a writer, um, kind of what are your major considerations that you're making? Hmm, that's a, that's a, I think a really good question. Uh, I would have to say, I, I would think, first of all, you would say, oh, the script has to be really good. Right. But a lot of the times, the person mm -hmm. matters more than the script initially yeah. initially because if the person is like cool to work with and you kind of have good chemistry with that person mm -hmm. even if the script is not amazing you can work on the script to make it amazing right. you know uh, yeah. but if the person is not someone that you connect with i mean there's nothing there yeah even if the script is really good it'll be tricky uh, I would probably still give it a try, but then if, if there is no chemistry, you mm -hmm. know, we are creative people. We're supposed to have an opinion and be very, right. uh, like stubborn with what we want to accomplish. Cause that's the only way that you can say that you have a vision, but right. if that vision doesn't align with my vision of the type of movies that I want to make mm -hmm. or what I consider this story is about, then we're, we're going to be butting heads the whole time. Uh, so I think that would be the first thing. I know that's really complicated to gauge. Uh, yeah. So the advice that I would give to people is 
try to connect with people that align with your personality and the type of mm-hmm. movies and projects that you want to make because that would be the the way that you find that type of people yeah gotcha yeah i think that is um i think that's super important i mean just chemistry with people i think is is it, 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 it's important with anything and i think Honestly, I think people, we in this industry have a tendency to be like, it's so different in Hollywood. And it really isn't, I think, like in any job, in any career, you want to have chemistry with the people you're working with. But I think it is it is really important in this. And I think that's really interesting. So I think it's interesting you put more stock on whether you mesh with the writer than whether it's a good script. So you'd be more likely to take on a bad script or that you think has, obviously, if it's just a terrible script, there's no point, but like a bad script that has a potential to be a great script with a writer you love than you would to take on like an excellent script with a writer who you just, there's something there, you're not gelling with them. Yeah, it's like if you go out on a date with someone, even if they're beautiful, if you guys don't have any chemistry and you don't connect with that person, you don't have anything in common, it's not going to work. The same happens with a writer and producer and, and a writer if our creative tastes don't align, if our ideas of what the project should be don't align. And sometimes even if we as people like it's awkward, it just makes it really hard. So I would rather go with a script that it it might be a little bit less, but Mm -hmm. I love working with that person and we can elevate the script and we are on the same page because if, if not, it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, I think like we were saying before about just how important like how much writing physically happens when you're in development and stuff with something. And then God forbid, I mean, you know, don't God forbid, God, please make it happen. But like um, it actually gets picked up and you're making the show. If you, if you are not gelling with the person you're making the show with, that is a recipe for disaster. Oh yes, Um, it is. I have been on those shows where people hated each other. It's not fun, Sam. Like it's not fun. I believe that, my friend. Um, all right. So before I ask my last question, where can people find you online? And I always like to add this little curveball. If people reach out, what is one surefire way to get a response from you? And likewise, what's one surefire way to make sure you delete their message sight unseen? Well, I'm very active on Instagram and now I'm getting onto Twitter a little bit. Mm-hmm. So if you hit me up there on both, uh, most likely I will reply. I think when people go straight for the ask mm-hmm. and usually with writers is they just want me to read their script yeah. and I'm pretty open about it. So I don't, I don't mind. It will take me a long time to get to your script. <laughs> uh, if you keep bugging me and bugging me and bugging me, then you lose me because I have other things to do. And if, if you're that insistent without how to put it, cause I want people to like go out there and, and, try hard for what they want but if you're bothering me too much too often and then you're messaging me over and over and over and over again i will have to stop replying yeah Uh, but i'm i'm at that point in my career right now that i'm still learning i'm still starting out i'm Mm -hmm. i'm almost wanting to listen to everyone and respond to everything and reply to everybody so i'm i'm pretty open that's great and could you um drop your your handles yeah, uh, it's Axel Arzola everywhere. A X E L A R Z O L A. Sorry, finish. Yeah, on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, everything. It's got to be the perks of having like a, an unusual last name. 
Yep. <laughs> you get everything. Uh, all right. Um, okay, my final question. I call this my screenwriter survival tip. What is the most important director to help them not only survive but thrive in this industry? I'll say work on the movie or show that if you only had 12 months to live, you would enjoy mm. working on that project. Mm. Try to focus on that type of project. If not, you're you're not going to be doing your best work. Huh. That's really interesting. That's a great, that's an absolutely great tip. Yeah, I love to hear the things people come up with. I usually get a long pause, um, which maybe means I should warn people about this beforehand. Um, mm -hmm. And then I always get something different. And that was great. Yes, I think just where, yes, I've definitely had projects before where I like get through the first draft. And I'm like, okay, I never want to touch that again. And usually that means, okay, just don't touch again because it's, it was, it was a learning experience and now it's over. Don't do it again. Um, yeah. It just, it takes so much intensity to do what we yeah. do because you get so many no's and it's so hard to get anything mm -hmm. made. At least if you're going to fail, fail with something that you love doing yeah then then at least you're having fun you know absolutely um all right guys this has been an amazing conversation axel is one of the coolest most dedicated people i know there is just a class of people that i've met in la who just get shit done and don't actually talk um, or don't just talk rather um, I think so many people are talkers and they don't actually do anything. Axel is not that. He is going out there, getting after it. Um, don't forget to tune in next week. I honestly don't remember what the what the episode is next week, but surprise to all of us. Um, all right, guys. Until next time, remember, don't just survive, thrive. Hey, guys. Before we go, I have a quick ask. If you found anything on this show valuable... I would really appreciate it if you would go to Apple Podcasts, go to Stitcher, go to wherever you listen, and give us a quick rate and review. It doesn't have to be anything long. It doesn't have to be anything super in-depth, but that is just the best way to help grow this community. If you think other screenwriters would benefit from hearing this, a rate and review is the best way to make sure our podcast is seen by as many screenwriters as possible. Thank you guys so much, and until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. If you have questions about this episode, you can reach out on Twitter or Instagram. We're at SSGpod. And I'm on Instagram at SamBrooksPresents. And don't forget to tune in next time to the Screenwriter Survival Guide.